Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode 186, Willie Levis of the Mayonnaise Factory. My name's Matthew Turner, alongside Ryan McCluskey, Anthony Fitzpatrick, and Ashley Soden. How are you doing, boys? Good. Doing good, doing good. We've saved my least favourite group to the last. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, we are doing the 2023 NFL draft position look at course of backs today our final look at draft positions before we move on to mock drafting for the remainder of april before the draft in just over three weeks time a bit of preamble to start with don't forget to join our discord channel i'll put an invite link in the live chats in youtube and twitch it's grown substantially actually in the last few weeks and with the draft coming along there's no better time than to join us right now with some good lines chat college football podcast Ant and Ryan is, I think, tomorrow now. What have you got for us? Uh, yeah, we've had a couple of weeks off. Uh, we are going to be back tomorrow. We we had a request from a listener. I got a I got a WhatsApp message a few weeks ago asking if we'd ever done anything in regards to Dynasty Fantasy Football before, which I said, no, I don't have a clue. But I thought it might be quite an interesting thing for us to do as we were going for the draft. So what me and Ryan are doing is we're compiling lists of the rookies who are about to hit the draft and ranking them from a dynasty fantasy football perspective. And it's very hard because it's not just like saying the best guy straight away. You've got to look at, you've got to try and think what scheme a guy's going to go in, whether long-term he's going to be better than a guy now. And it's actually quite an interesting thing. So we will be giving our dynasty fantasy football rankings for any of those who are looking at the upcoming draft because the draft happens for fantasy before it does in the actual real world. So you've kind of, Got to guess a lot of it. So it's going to be fun. We're going to be doing fantasy football. All right. Please don't forget to like the episode and sub to the podcast and give us a rating on your podcast provider. We did get a five star recently. I was very proud of that one. We haven't had that many. So if you are on Apple Podcasts and you can do that, that would mean the world to us. And don't forget to download the app at lionsnationunite.com, Herman Moore's project to bring the best in Lions content creators together. We're also a Twitch affiliate. And that means if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, you get a free sub to use every single month. Just go on to twitch.tv and you can give your favorite um, Twitch streamer two bucks fifty with that sub. So make sure you give it away if you've got one. There's also a feedback form down below on the YouTube. So you can click the form there and give us some feedback about what we do well, what you like, what you don't like. We're always looking to make the show better. And there is a tip jar down there too. Also... There is a R900 sub giveaway still running. It runs until the end of Friday, UK time. So that is 7 p.m. Eastern time in the States. It's free to enter. And if you win, you win a choice of one of Ryan McCluskey's lovely merch. And then once that's completed, we have now reached our thousand sub milestone. If you didn't listen to our celebratory podcast yesterday live, or we've got it on the audio pod as well, it was a lovely 
gratuitous self-indulgent little thing that me and Ant did just to celebrate you guys really because you know you've pushed us over the top on YouTube it means that we potentially can get monetized now it's the next evolution of the show and it, it's been a great thing but what we did promise is to do another giveaway I know that Ryan's thinking on on what exactly to put in that although the the swift helmet's still up for grabs yes Ryan that's going in yeah it's a full-size swift eclipse black helmet I think so, I've got yeah. a stitched signed Reggie Bush jersey as well. There's some other stuff. Whoever wins, I will just send them some photos. There and we go. Yeah, there we go. So some really good stuff in there. Just to make sure to enter this one, then enter the next one. It's absolutely free for you guys. So why not? Let's kick off with the only bit of notable news, Ash, <laughs> which is that the wide receiver, Marvin Jones Jr., is back. He re-signs with the Detroit Lions on a one-year $3 million deal, which is worth up to $5 million with incentives. The receiver, guys, was beloved while he was here as someone who maybe didn't get the limelight as much as Kenny Golladay whilst they were both here, formed a, a terrifying trio between them and Golden Tate. Some of the best wide receiver trios we've had in, in the last 30 years, potentially, even including some of the greats that we've had. And, you know, very fond memories of him, perhaps not being the most athletic guy or the tallest guy, but somehow just finding a way to win on that outside. And actually, personally, I can't think of a better guy to have for JMO to learn from because you know that Goff can throw that timing route to the outside and Jones pulled off that catch better than anyone. Like this as a cheap deal for a really good um, piece that's going to fit right in with the culture, you know, coming in at wide receiver four or five, it might see the end of one of the guys at wide receiver six, six or seven now not going to have a chance to get in because he's probably making the roster. But it feels good to have someone back, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I'll go first. And 100%, as you say, culture fit. Great. It's... it's seems we're rewarding the guys who are great culture fits in the past regime and now coming and coming back to sort of get their rewards for it. But back uh, Graham, now we've got Marvin, who will, as you say, is the perfect guy for Jamie to learn from. bit more nuanced with some of the uh, route running, especially deep, and the contested catch stuff, which is something that Jamo might need to learn from. And it's, yeah, it's just a perfect guy. We can depend on him as a 4-5 if we, he needs to step up for a game or two as a receiver three especially if it's against the Vikings, because he always seems to love playing against the Vikings. Just bring him, uh, bring him up, get him 10, 20 uh, snaps a game if, uh, at a push, get him a couple of routes, and he's perfect as a sort of guy there just to be a solidifying block. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's in effect, it's a good deal for us. I think, you know, when he left, I was fine with that because... It was too much money. Now he's coming back a few years later and it's it's the right sort of money. Well, it's only three million becoming five or something like that, isn't it? So I don't mind paying him that much money. He'll come in, he'll be a good mentor for the young guys. He might get four or five hundred yards himself. It's depth, it's what you need. So yeah, it's a it's a good deal for the Lions. It's good to have him back. And you know, he'll give his all for the team here. And as I say, he'll be a great influence on all those young guys around him. So yeah, I'm I'm happy he's back. Yeah, he's a dependable guy. He might get, what, 40, 50 targets. He'll share them with Raymond. I trust him a lot more than I do Josh Reynolds. Fine, wide receiver four. Like I said, if he gives me 450 to 550 yards, 
he's served his purpose. Like I say he's no spring chicken now, so he's thinking about where he wants to be and where he enjoys his time being. So yeah, he knows what his role will be. It'll be a he'll be a part time guy and a guy that can take a shot down the field. So so there's still some life in the old legs. And he's liked as well. So if this is the last place he goes before he retires, then it would kind of make sense if you're thinking about life after football. Absolutely, it does. Right, we did change our athletics trainer, as Ash rightly pointed out before we started the show. I am not going to count that as something particularly notable at this point. It's hard for us to really read in too much into what happened. So I'm going to get straight on with the quarterbacks that we've been looking at today. And I'm going to preface this by saying that we have not studied in detail CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. And the main reason for that is that it seems terrifically likely that we will not be in a position to draft either of those two quarterbacks in particular. We'll mention them in passing at the end of the show just to do belt and braces, to cover all the bases, but they are not going to be a feature of this. We've looked at quarterbacks potentially that we could take at, well, I've looked at Richardson, so I'm going to say that that's someone that we could take at six, but the majority of picks that we're looking at are backup quarterbacks or someone we could take at 18. So, you know, day three guys, maybe fringe day two guys. That's our focus today. We will mention some of the higher up quarterbacks in passing later on. And without further ado, Ash, why don't you kick us off with uh, one of the quarterbacks of your choice? So let's start with uh, a Discord favourite, uh, especially of our good friend, Yehor Jesus, and Discord, who always loves to mock, uh, mock this guy to us. Unfortunately, it's also from a college that uh, early on Discord, Ant says, never had a good QB this millennium so far in the NFL, so hopefully this guy can change it. Of course, talking about Jaron Hall, the BYU quarterback. So this year, he's had a 86.3 offensive grade with an 82.4 passing and 70, uh, 72 run grade. He's thrown a completed 248 of his 376 passes for 3,171 yards, 31 touchdowns, and six passing touchdowns. He also ran uh, 86 times, though, obviously, little prefe- uh, preface that in college, sack uh, numbers are included with the rushing stats rather than passing. So, this obviously, all the rushing stats will include the sack numbers. So, it's 86 rushing attempts for 350 yards and three touchdowns. He also caught two passes for 28 yards and one touchdown this season. So he has a RAS of 7.95 with his size being very poor, with being literally a shade over six foot, 207 pounds and 9.5 inch hands. His agility is great with a 4.19 shuttle and a 7.06 free cone and an elite speed with a 4.64 40 yard dash with 1.59 10 yard. So I watched two games. I watched Oregon and Liberty from this year. Oregon was a middling game with a 68.5 off his grade, while Liberty was 58.1. So you sort of get the good of him and the bad. So the strengths comes from a family of athletes. His brothers, his mum and his dad all played, uh, did sports for NYU. For example, his mum was a gymnast, I believe, and I think his dad was a wrestler. And that wrestling background comes in because he's very tough. He will stand there in the face of pressure and will try and deliver a ball, even if it means he'll take a hit. He's very much got that sort of like Stafford mould to you, someone we know and obviously the guy I'm wearing to compare him to. But he does have a good feel for pressure. He will judge whether the throw is on or if he needs to get out the pocket and then make that decision well. And he has good mechanics for both quick reads and deeper dropbacks. 
and he because partly because of his baseball background, he has he has the ability to make velocity on the balls, even when off platforms. You can make almost any throw you ask him to make. For example, one of the hardest throws I've seen him make was against Liberty, where he was on the far uh, hash mark and he dropped it into the bas- uh, bread basket on the sideline on the opposite side for uh, our good friend Puka. And uh, not only is he good as in the passing game, as of he is a very good runner. He can be used on read options or design draws and was uh, used on both of those for good results in the games I saw. And he can definitely move the coverage. Uh, against man coverage can move the sticks as well. Um, and on QB sneak plays, he can also generate the push even without the uh, fabled Eagles sneak play. And because you know what I'm like, I look at the minute stuff, he has a very, very good hand uh, fake handoff for play action and play fakes. However, he does have some weaknesses. So as we've mentioned with the Raz, his frame is not exactly ideal. He's a tiny bit short and he's very slight in his frame. And he's old. He's already 25. So it's not really going to be someone you invest in for the future, perhaps, because he's almost had all development. You could probably ask for him. He's sort of hit his ceiling. And despite being very tough, he's not very durable. He's had... Two concussions in 2019, a season-ending hip injury in 2020, a degrading rib injury that ruled him out for two games, and a lower leg injury in 2021, and then he had an ankle injury in 2022. So his frame, unlike, for example, Bryce Young, who has a similar issue, uh, sort of knock against him, he's not able to take the hits, even though he sort of takes them. And he's not very consistent as a passer. He has to really get hot or, or have his first read always be open for him to be able to throw with rhythm. And he can rush on delivering the ball on some of those reads, which leads to inaccuracy as he sort of just tries to whip it in there rather than actually make a good decision. And despite what I say, where he can usually read pressure, when he doesn't, he usually opts to throw it into double coverage rather than throw the ball away to live another down, which can lead to some turnover-worthy plays. And that definitely shows us, despite having good luck against turn uh, for the turnovers, a lot of his balls can get batted up by defenders and the defence just doesn't come down with them. So it's sort of risk-reward. So the, as for the like, sort of NFL comparison, Riz, in his article recently where he was looking at QBs in every round, compared him to a healthier, smaller Hendon Hooker. But for me, right now, he is a smaller Sam Darnold. He has all the tools, but hasn't fully put it together yet. He still has a few more steps of like making the idea of uh, IKEA flat pack case of being a quarterback to go, despite having a longer time to go on it. So Donald is also 25. But if he can just learn to get through his progressions a bit, slow down, just learn how to get into rhythm, he could have the potential to become a sort of Bridgewater level backup QB who could make his money as a high level backup and maybe have it string together a couple of starts in place of injury rather than just one or two. So in summary, he is currently the seventh QB on the consensus board at 149 overall. So he's on there, he's about a fifth round prospect, but in some mocks he's been going as high as the late second, supposedly. For me, that's too rich in the late second, but if he's there at 152 when we pick, I'd run it in completely. There, He'll be a very, very good backup. He has the mobility as well, so when we face fields twice a year or we face if the Mars stays in direct battle Baltimore we face them later he has the mobility for us to be able to practice against that and get some actual reps against that rather than have the issues we did last year he definitely could 
run the sort of Goff ends, but he also gives you a floor with the rushing ability that Goff currently doesn't have. But the size and the durability concerns will probably hold him back from ever getting a, a consistent starting role because you don't know if you can trust him to sort of last the amount of games you need to for a starter. Thoughts on Jaron Hall, boys? Uh, I think he fits the uh, role of a backup fairly well. Like I say, he does the basic right. If you ignore a checkered injury past, he offers more on the mobility side of ground feeling pressure than Jared does. He's able to, I suppose, do a, like I said, I trust him on a redraw. I don't, he would understand where a, a defender is crashing down and pull the ball and take off when needs be, where we don't currently have that. I say he can make most of the throws in the book. He has had good receivers like uh, the Romney brothers, Pukanisua, so he's able to move the ball down the field and take deep shots where need be. So if you're looking for someone on day two that is a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, and you want to mould into that future number two that as of now we don't have, I'd throw third round right in. I, I feel like Brad Holmes would be interested. I feel like BYU's offence has never been that pass heavy. Maybe he's been a little underutilised in the last few years. It's been a pretty strong run game and have had pretty good offensive linemen in the last few years, but it feels like they've never he's never been asked to really explore as a passer. Maybe he's not been used to the full potential. So I feel like he's a he's a very solid option. It's kind of I think the classes it wears a bit thin on day two. You're really kind of like some of them are like really iffy on. I'm probably more sound on him than I am some of the other guys that are potential backups. I mean, if he'd not have had injuries in his career, I think there could there be there could have been a future as a quarterback one there for him. He kind of has everything you need. The strength, the toughness, he's got the arm, he's got all the ability in the world when he wants to, but one, he's not really been in a system that utilizes it that much. Again, BYU really quite pass heavy. Did a lot better last year. They gave him a few more looks and did really well, but the, the injuries are just really concerning. And and you've got to take into account the fact that he is 25 right now. So he is on the older side of the spectrum as well. And you know, in terms of starters, it's going to take a while to develop him. So it's going to be very late on in the process when you start seeing the benefits from it, which will drive the value down even further. So if you can say, you know, quality backup within a couple of years, maybe something like that, then that's great. But you don't really spend big picks on that. He's going to be 27 by then. So I think someone will take a chance on him. I, th- I think someone will think. I think it might be like a Davis Mills type thing. So. You know, difficult, but someone will go. There is the potential to have a quarterback one in there, like there is with Davis, and someone's tried. And I think someone might try again with Jaron Hall. I just, I just don't think it will be us. We're not in the position to be spending a high pick on a twenty-five-year-old like that who's got those injury histories. So, but as a quarterback, I, I do, I really like him, and and I love his receiver as well. So, yeah, he's. I'm interested to see what happens with him and who pulls the trigger because I think someone just might. I really like him. Um, There's just something in his arsenal that I I really enjoy watching. He throws a very pretty ball when it's on the money, especially 
Going across the hash marks, Ash, you mentioned one particular example, but there's consistent ones on tape of him going from opposite hash mark to sideline on like a quick five yard out route where he can just drop it in. He can he can hit a bullet pass if there's no corner in the way. And if there is a corner in the way, he can drop it right where it needs to be as a little kind of floating floating pass. And it's just beautiful to watch. But sometimes he just has bad misses that he just shouldn't be having. And I don't think it's necessarily bad accuracy. There's something in that BYU offense that just wasn't quite right. And it was quarterback and receiver not being on the same page. Is that quarterback or is that receiver problems? I don't know. But there's multiple examples of Jaron Hall throwing a slant route when the receiver's done a hitch and vice versa. And it's like, on some level, you want your quarterback to be sorting that out. Whether it's the receiver's fault or his fault, he's got to kind of take charge of the situation. And I kind of question whether, therefore, he has a sort of leadership qualities that you'd hope for in a bit of an older prospect. So that's something that gives me pause. But if you have a look at the guys are kind of in and around his draft position, I think he gives you the best chance to win in relief as a quarterback too. So if you can pick him up early day three, I'm on board. But like AC1 is just a bit rich. You kind of hope to get some sort of rotational piece or even a starter AC1. And so taking QB2 there just kind of feels a bit redundant to me. I don't like it when there's so many of these guys we could take on day three as we're going to kind of go through in a little bit. So that's Jaron Hall for me. Love him as a prospect, but he's not for me. All right. And why don't you take the next one? Um, okay, just give me a tick. So I am going to start with one of my favorite prospects in this draft. I've mentioned him a lot, but I've not really talked in too much detail. So of course, I'm going to talk about Lindsey Scott Jr., the quarterback from the Incarnate Ward Cardinals. He is 24 years old. He is 5'10", 228 pounds, and he can run a 4'5", 40-yard dash. So the guy is rapid. Now, as, as many people will not have heard of him because he is right down there in the terms of draft diamonds, I'm going to go through his college career a little first and then talk a little bit about the player. So he actually has a seven-year story in college football. Started out a long time ago, but still relatively young for a seven-year guy. So he started life at LSU in the SEC. He was the scout team quarterback there as a freshman um, before he transferred down to JUCO, which is Division Three of college football right at the very bottom, in search of a starting opportunity, he ended up at East Mississippi Community College. And in his one year there, he actually won the JUCO championship as a starter with a season average 156.8 QBR rating. The opposing quarterback that day was one Bryce Perkins, who is backing up for the LA Rams at this point in time um, on the back of that season transferred back up to the SEC for a second time uh, this time with Missouri hoping to try and win a starting spot off the back of that really good year but once again ended up as scout team quarterback he was stuck behind Drew Locke in the pecking order obviously Drew Locke second round pick a few years back so I guess no shame in being beaten out there so we spent a year there then he transferred for a third time, but this time he stayed in Division One. but he dropped down to the FCS with Nichols State. He had to sit a year to comply with transfer portal rules because back then you had to sit a year when you transfer between Division One schools. And then he was hit with the COVID shortened year 
before things finally started to take off for him. So in 18 games with Nichols State, he had 5,314 passing yards, 49 touchdowns, 18 interceptions, quarterback rating of 141.5. On the back of those two good years, he then used his extra year of eligibility he got because of COVID to transfer one final time to the bigger stage in the SCS of Incarnate Word, where he has been playing this year, and who had just lost their star quarterback Cameron Ward to Washington State. That's a quarterback you will hear a lot about on the college show next year. And he proceeded to have one of the most productive quarterback seasons ever. So he threw for 4,657 passing yards this season, 68 touchdowns, which broke the previous FCS record by 10. It was 58 before that. And he threw just eight interceptions. Then you add another 777 yards and 11 touchdowns on the ground as Incarnate Ward made the FCS playoff semifinals for the first time ever. And just to top it all off, he was also awarded the Walter Payton Award for Best Offensive Player in the entire FCS as well. So a great season for him. In terms of the player himself, Ward is a true dual threat quarterback. As I said, he possesses 4-5 speed. It shows on tape. He has the athletic ability to go with it to make defenders miss him in open field. Once he hits green grass, it is very hard to stop him. He forced 41 missed tackles on just 90 carries last season as a quarterback. And in his last three years, when he's been starting for Nichols State and Incarnate Ward, over half of his 2,420 rushing yards have come after contact. So this is a guy, he may be a little smaller, but he is bulky. He can play through tackles and he can keep on going to make that yardage. So the run game, really good with him. As a passer, he's marked, in, he's in, as a passer, he has improved markedly year upon year. So three years ago, he was thrown at about 58% completion for his passers. This past year, that's gone all the way up to 70%. Turnover-worthy play rate is just 3.2%, which would have ranked him 15th in the NFL last year. So kind of given the size concerns and the concerns about guys who like to run the ball a lot, throwing on the run, as a lot of mobile guys like to do, he's very good at not putting the ball in harm's way that often. And speaking of another issue with the height, just five batter passes in his three years as a starter. So again, when the quarterback's smaller, it's easier to knock his passes down. But with Lindsay. Really good positioning with the football, not putting it in harm's way. Doesn't get the batter passes down, which sometimes you see against some of these smaller um, quarterbacks. Um, in terms of the arm, he's got the arm strength to hit all three levels of the field. Against Nevada, it was a really good game where they upset FBS Nevada this season, even though they weren't really that good. But there's sort of a play where he drops down to the right side of the pocket, sets himself... He throws it nearly 50 yards cross field from the right to the left, right into the bucket of his receiver who gets a touchdown because of how well placed it is. And whilst he's throwing that ball, he's got two defenders right up in his face who level him after he's made the throw. So you've got the calm, decisive decision making on the ball and you've got the strength to throw it cross field that far into a bucket Guy doesn't have to break stride catching the thing. It looked great. And there are so many examples of this on tape where the deep ball, he throws it into a bucket. It is, it is an inconsistent thing, but when he does it right, it looks really good. And with a bit more consistency, he's only going to get better. Um, 
he can make plays in big time situations as well um, when he's most needed. So one of the best games this year, and Ryan will attest to this, was the FCS quarterfinal. When they played against Sacramento State, it was an absolute barnstormer of a game, which maybe Incarnate Ward should not have won. Um, but in the last drive, he's driving to win the game, converts a third and seven with his legs on the fly when the play breaks down to keep it alive. I think he forced two missed tackles on that run alone to be able to keep the game going for them. And then the final touchdown pass is just this perfectly weighted throw right into the corner of the end zone, right into his receiver's mid-drift, who's falling backwards. The, the DB can't make a play on it because he's the only one who can get it. And it was as clutch a throw as they come in such a big situation. So he's a guy who's got all the sets of throws and he can do it when it really matters. And then off the field, He's a very high character guy. He's very driven, very determined to succeed in the face of a lot of adversity he's faced throughout his college career. So it's not just his size. He is one of those small guys who has a chip on his shoulder about it all. But in trying to find the opportunity to succeed as well, he's transferred four times, which some might go, "Mm, red flag. Doesn't bother me in this case. Two of the times he was searching for starting opportunity because he wasn't compared, you know, he wasn't willing to just sit there and wait to see if it happened. And then the other two on the back of his success in JUCO and the back of his success at Nichols State, he transferred to a higher level of competition to, you know, try and keep building up his draft stock. And I've got absolutely no problem with that there, considering the first four or five years for him were just were really rough in that he wasn't getting played. He had to miss because of COVID, because of transfer rules, to still see that will and desire to want to go out there and play. For me, it's a really big part of why I like him. So, as I say, dual threat guy, characters there, the story, you know, it's great. There's a lot of stuff to like about him. Now, issues, because I've kind of made him sound like Drew Brees at this point, which he is not. But when it comes to the running side of the game, there is one issue. It's his ball security. There is an issue there. 19 fumbles in the last three seasons. Nine of those came this season and three of them came in the semi-final, uh, which I'll talk about in a moment. So this needs to be a point of focus for him, protecting the ball a bit better. But if you sort that out, then there are no obvious deficiencies in his run game. So that's close to being as good as you really want it to be. And whilst the passing is pretty solid, he needs to keep on developing, as all quarterbacks do. A little more consistency would not go amiss. But, I mean, for where you're going to be drafted in, which is going to be day three or undrafted free agency at this point, probably undrafted free agency, it's a lot higher than you can expect from a lot of guys that you're going to find around that point. Then you've got the age and the size issue. So, obviously, age, 24, size, five foot ten. That will be a problem for some. But, again, you're picking day three. You're picking undrafted free agency. So, the issues become more minor than they do at the top. And as I've already shown you, the size with him isn't really an issue when it comes to the passing or his durability. He's been pretty healthy during his career, no major injuries, so to speak. He looks after himself well on the field, doesn't put himself in harm's way. So the size is an issue there. And the age, you can take it or leave it, but 24 is still pretty young in the grand scheme of things. And then the, the one issue that did give me a bit of cause for concern was the FCS semi-final against North Dakota State. He threw two picks in that game and he fumbled the ball three times in a game that arguably they should have won. So it does raise some questions about what he might be like when the real pressure games arrive. So it is a thing to watch out on. I mean, he, he showed up for his team in the quarterfinal. It got a little bit too big for him in the semi. So it's an issue to keep an eye on, but 
when all is said and done, you're not spending a first round pick on this guy. So these things you can work on and things that aren't going to matter as much if you're spending that level of a pick on a guy. So when all is said and done, how does he fit Detroit? For me, he fits us very damn well. Now, the great part about Lindsey Scott Jr. and what you can do with him, if you draft him or you get him in priority free agency, whatever, he instantly upgrades your scout team. He has high-level experience as a scout team quarterback. And in terms of what the Lions have, he offers a true dual threat that the Lions simply don't have. So it gives them a new level of preparation you know, against this new breed of mobile quarterbacks in the league, something we've struggled with for years. You get him in this team, you get him playing the way he does, it's going to give you invaluable preparation against some of these guys. And whilst you're doing that, you're able to develop all this potential upside of him. Now, for me, he's got the potential upside of maybe a low-level quarterback one, certainly a high-level backup that you can use situationally and who can come into the team and keep the ship steady whilst your starter is out. And I say that because both aspects of his game, passing and running as a true Drew Thet guy, there are no real red flags in there. It's just a course of developing him right. So you've got nothing but upside in terms of this guy. You're not going to be spending very much on him. So for me, it's insane value. He can give you benefits right away and in the long term. So I just... I'm really high on this guy. I don't know why there's not much more buzz about him. He's my favorite sleeper in this draft, one of. That's Lindsey Scott Jr. And hopefully you'll hear that name a lot more in the near future. Boys, thoughts on on Lindsey Scott Jr.? Uh, well, to speak. Yeah, uh, yeah, he wrote his look in the playoffs. Probably shouldn't have been Sac State and then, like say, all those turnovers. But if I'm pretty sure, I can't remember which game, but I'm pretty sure he set the Div 1 record for the most touchdowns in a half. It was either six or seven. I'm sure he scored like seven touchdowns in seven. the first half. Of, hmm? Seven. Ten, yeah. He he had like the best half of football anyone's ever seen like the, at Div 1 level. He was ridiculous. Yeah, he is a phenomenal guy. He's made some questionable decisions like, the transfer is fine, but when he went to Missouri, that was probably a mistake. I think that was probably be a little bit speculative that he gets that job there. But if we're talking about guys coming out of the FCS, he's the best. I don't think is I I don't think is a better undrafted free agent prior QB than him coming out of the FCS. I said this year he had a phenomenal run. He had one of the best seasons I've ever seen. It was as good as Joe Burrow. Basically, just with a few more turnovers. Yeah, the ball security. Sometimes it carries the ball like a loaf of bread when he should be carrying it like a newborn baby. Yeah. But that, 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 a lot of guys do that. Like I said, it's just his style. But no, I, I love the kid. I say, if, if we bring him in or whoever he goes, like it's a UDFA, I feel like he's got a great chance of being QB2, QB3. And he won't cost you anything. He's all upside. Brandizer says that Lindsay Scott should hire Anthony Fitzpatrick as his agent. Uh, Ash, do you have any <laughs> thoughts on Lindsay Scott? Sounds like a per- like uh, right there. Yeah, sounds like a guy that Dan, Brad, Ben, Tanner Engstrand, Mark Brunel, JT Barrett, all the guys that sort of will have interests. Sounds someone they would like a lot because I think they can teach. The ball security, that's probably one of the easiest things to probably teach a player 
is ball security rather than fixing someone's mechanics or teach them how to properly process a defense. So it's something that's definitely fixable. And as you say, if it's if he is a pro to UDFA and it's all upside, nothing you're losing nothing, but you could gain something remarkable. You could as if if he does reach a QB two level like I don't know, a Snoop Huntley kind of level where he shows flashes and he's consistent enough that you can maybe start him one or two games if your star gets injured and he can run a dual threat offense. That's perfect because that's what the modern NFL needs. You need someone who can move. Goff's good enough at movement, but having that little threat that can make the defenses aware and give you that little edge, especially if you are having to play him as a backup, it just gives you that little extra edge to play with. It's Absolutely. not been it's not been his agent grandizer. It's just giving everyone a fair platform. Some guys <laughs> just get underappreciated, so you have to, you know, big them up. And he, go watch him play. Honestly, you will fall in love with him very, very quickly. All right, Ryan, why don't you take us away with your first? Up first, I've got Malik Cunningham, the quarterback from Louisville. Ah, uh, Malik, if you squint your eyes and look through a frosted glass, you'd see Lamar Jackson. If you open your eyes, he's more Janet Jackson. This this is not complimentary. So he's undersized at six foot, 192 pounds. He's got 31 and three inch uh, quarter arms, nine and a half inch hands. Ran a very good 440, 453, 151, 10 yard split. But he decided not to do any of the drills. So from 2018 to 2022, he served as Lamar's backup and took over the starting role for the Louisville Cardinals. 9,664 passing yards, 70 touchdowns, 29 exceptions, 3,184 rushing yards, 50 touchdowns. So the Cardinals, underwhelmed. Louisville have not been very good in this time, if honest. In an ACC that kind of was there for the take on that half. Like I say, they could have been better, it should have been better. He was supposed to be the heir apparent to Lamar. Didn't pan out. If you're looking for a quarterback, if you're looking for a quarterback to command a scheme where he can play a wildcat and he can play lots of QB draw and a QB stretch, perfect. His IQ is really good. He recognises when defensive end are crashing down and to pull that Bread, uh, pull the bread out of the running back's basket and take off himself and he knows when to let it go and let the running back take the punishment. He is a red zone nightmare because he's incredibly shifty. He is really good in the open field. He does not go off the slides when he sees the first down marker. He goes for the home run. So he's a very experienced guy. Like I say, he's had a long career. I think as well he's got versatility to play other positions. I would not be surprised if he's an NFL running back. And I think he could do it pretty well if he put on a few pounds. He's kind of built like that triangle for Mr. Men. He's a bit top-heavy when you get downstairs. He's got legs like French fries. That's, that, that is an issue. Accuracy, short to medium. Inconsistent, but that's not terrible. Deep ball doesn't have one. He can't throw deep. Like I said, his targets might get deep, might get free. Ball's not getting there unless he's doing and he's throwing on the run, rolling out. Pocket is kind of weak, and that is worrying. So I look at comps. I actually see a lot of De'Aaron King. 
And I say this because Derek King was signed by the DC Defenders, which are six and one the USFL. He's the backup to Jordan Ta'amu, and he gets all his touches in the red zone. He scored lots of touchdowns in the USFL this year, in the XFL. He's also got lots of zone reads, zone draws, lots of carries, and they are the best QB tandem in the XFL. And as a day three UDFA, I think Malik Cunningham can be exactly that. I say Trace McSorley, when the Baltimore Ravens drafted him, they tried him, had him running, then played him at corner. I think someone's going to do the same thing with Cunningham, draft him, get him in the red zone, he'll score touchdowns. If it doesn't pan out, try to put him at running back. I feel like he's the kind of guy that will do everything to see the field. So does he fit the Lions? No, I don't think so. I mean, unless you want, like, say, a true dual threat that's more of a runner for, like, say, practicing and to go up against on a defence. He might be good in the red zone to pick up those, like, uh, two-point conversions. He can stretch a defence and get to the pylon. But as a pocket, as a passer, 70 touchdowns to 20 interceptions, it's a little bit misleading. Like I say, he commanded some good offences, but he didn't win a ton of games. And he's not, the arm isn't just, just isn't there for me. So I'd have to go like, he's probably going from like late sick to undrafted. That's probably where you're going to get him. I feel like if he goes in the seventh round, that's that's probably fair. But yeah, he's a very, he's very durable. He's taken a lot of carries. I'll give him that. He has taken a lot of touches in the four years and he's picked up a few knocks, but for the, the best part of it, he's been pretty available for the majority of it despite quite a heavy workload. Patchy blocking as well. He's taken a bit of wear and tear, but he's still pretty physical to say his frame isn't the best. Puts on a bit of muscle. I feel like with how the NFL goes now, with, like to say, the dual threat, the guy that can take off like Justin Fields did against the Lions, torture for 65 yards. Malik could very much do that. I feel like he has got those traits right now that the the new modern football game kind of covets, which works in his favour. So I feel like someone's going to throw a bone at him. And if they don't, I think he'll play professional football in another league. Like I say, the CFL, like I say, the XFL. I feel like Malik Cunningham will play pro football somewhere at some level. And it could be a, a practice squad guy all year. He's the ideal candidate that you stash away. You let him practice. And if for any reason you have to suit up a guy in a day, I feel like he's the kind of guy you'd bring up. So it can be a dynamic weapon if he's drafted by the right team, put in the same scheme. Like I say, a wildcat can cause some teams a headache. He'd be the perfect candidate to run that kind of trick play, special teams. He'll probably do whatever you ask of him. He's a smart guy. He's around 24, so he's also... The trend seems to be a lot of guys are talking about today. He's a, lot, a bit older. He's been around the block a few times, but to his credit... That's not too bad. He was never going to fill the shoes of Lamar Jackson. It just wasn't possible. He's just not got the arm. He just can't make the throws. But everything else below the waist, he can be the exact same person. So think of him as the pound shop Lamar Jackson. And that's not to discredit him. That's just the shoes are too big to fill. And the Cardinals, yeah, they scored heavily in their time. He put up some very good numbers. Probably wasn't his fault that he won as many games as he should because their defence will... Bit blah. So yeah, he's a solid product. 
Let this be a lesson to everyone to not have a swig of their drink before Ryan McCluskey makes a quarterback comparison because that almost ended me, Ryan. Uh, boys, thoughts on Malik Cunningham? I mean, he's been compared to Janet Jackson. What what really can you do more as as uh, <laughs> as like after that to try and say about? I mean. It's quite ironic that he uses that because obviously Janet and Michael did a duet together called Scream and if you watch Malik play, he makes you want to scream a lot because of the stupid decision-making all the time and, you know, it's that's the story with him. I mean, a couple of years ago, especially on the college prop, we were talking about him in more glowing terms, potentially. Look, he's this really good potential dual-threat guy who has all the ability he needs he just needs to be a lot better with his decision-making. He needs to be a lot less hasty trying to start running out of the pocket. I mean, maybe the team need to use him a bit more as a passer as well rather than just design running for him all the time. But in the two years kind of since we had those views, nothing has changed with him. He's he's still the same guy. There's still the same inconsistent passer who makes bad decisions, who is more prone to running first before looking and surveying his field, just thinking his legs will get it done all the time and and who the team have just kind of really used as a glorified running back to go with it. So it's there's just too much there that you're like, oh it, it's not it's not it's not great. I mean, I go back to Lindsay and with with a dual threat quarterback, you kind of want them to be pass first run second that that's what you want from a dual threat quarterback you want him to have the you know the know-how to to look for his passes go through his read scan the field and then think right now i've got to run the ball or i've got to do something with it he, he doesn't do that and it's just a case of it's going to be you know a run he's going to be a running guy first and i just don't think he offers you the upside as a passer to really make any damage going forward um, so he's highly frustrating. He had so much talent and he's just not developed anywhere near to the potential he could have done. Otherwise, you could, if he'd have developed and if he'd looked really good, you could be talking maybe not Anthony Richardson territory, but not far behind. That that was his ceiling, but that's gone now. So I've, I've got no more desire to see him in a Lions uniform. I, of course, I've only seen one game of him this year. You can guess against two. And he did torture us on the ground. He really did. So look at his PFF, 81.5 running grade against us. He got something like 127 yards. He got two touchdowns against us. He was very good on the ground. Passing-wise, his one touchdown came from a screen where the running back did everything else. He had a chance to beat us. We had to play back up in everything. Had a chance, couldn't do it. And I remember early in the college days, uh, it was bigged up. So some people, I'm not pointing fingers, said he was better than a certain other QB in the ACC who wears a sort of reddy colour. Obviously, that's come back to bite them. But that's he did undecided. have that to just. How is it? Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> I I remember one distinct quote from last season, which is, "Don't worry about drafting Malik Willis. Malik Willis isn't the best Malik in college football right now." Like that quote stands out to me quite well. And to be honest, given how Malik's done so far in at the NFL, Malik Willis, you might still be right. But you know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's 
He's just it's just Taysom Hill 2.0, but slightly smaller. That's all he's probably ever going to be, maybe in NFL. He's just sort of red zone threat. You can run the ball with him. You can use him to pass a few touchdowns in the red zone, maybe get him on a few receivers. I think he's also had like a couple of receptions this season. That's probably his ceiling in the NFL now. Probably, yeah, that like De'Aaron King sort of red zone weapon. All right, time to move on to the next one, and it's me, and it is Clayton Tune from the Houston Cougars. 24 years old, redshirt senior, six foot two and four tenths, 220 pounds, ran the 40 and 464 with a rapid 10 yard split of 155. But Considering that 10-yard split, his shuttle 4-2-5, while it sounds okay, is perhaps a bit slower than you'd think from a guy that has an elite first step. So his uh, side-to-side movement perhaps is not as good as that short area quickness in a straight line. Uh, Three-star recruit out of high school in his career, played 47 games, 956 completions on 1,497 attempts, a 64% completion rate. 11,994 yards in his career, 104 touchdowns to 41 interceptions, so significant number of interceptions. However, in the most recent season, he had a big uptick in form. In fact, in the last two years, he's had two really, really good years in this Houston team. 13 games, 67.3% completion rates, that's 3.3% higher than his career average, 4,074 yards. 40 touchdowns to 10 interceptions, which means that in the remainder of his career, he had a two to one touchdown ratio, but in this year, four to one, so much better. PFF grade this year of 91.5, but in 2021, it was 90.8. So he's stacked back to back good years per PFF. And I watched a couple of games of his at Cincinnati in 2021. That's the conference championship game. And then Uh, versus Tulane in this most recent season. And the strengths of Clayton Tune, first and foremost, it's an RPO-based offense. So that comes with its own limitations. He's he's in RPO or he's just operating entirely out the shotgun. You're not going to see this guy in a center, but he's deceptively quick as a runner. And obviously you say 1-5-5-10 yard split, of course he's going to be. But He's not as stacked as you think he might be, you know, six foot two and a half, 220. He sounds like he's sort of that prototypical sort of quarterback build, but he's a bit slight, actually. Um, but he's rapid with his legs. He just doesn't maybe have quite that impact. You do see him flying backwards sometimes when he gets hit, which is not ideal, but sometimes he can just maneuver around people in a way you don't expect. Um, he does a lot of design runs. He does a lot of zone keepers too. And, He's actually quite good at minimizing contact. So for someone that does run the ball as much as he does, he's an exceptionally good slider. He might do it a touch early and maybe sacrifice a yard to do so. But for someone that runs the ball as much as he does, he minimizes contact, which is a good thing. He's a very accurate short to intermediate passer. He's got good strength to zip the ball in at a moment's notice. So even when it looks like they're double covered, if he gets a small window in that short to intermediate range, he can get it in there with power. And I really like that about him. He's got nice touch on his passes. He throws a very catchable ball in that sort of range. So anywhere on the field, whether it's over the middle or out to the sidelines, he can do that all. 
He's a reasonable arm talent generally. It takes him a little while to kind of wind up the arm if he's going deep. He does lack a little bit of power deep, and it does affect his accuracy when he tries to wind up. But he is capable of getting it, you know, 40 yards downfield, but maybe not much further than that. He takes what he can, and I really appreciate that about a quarterback. He is good at reading in snap decisions, and if one of his receivers gets a step in the first half a second, he's going to take it every single time. It made for an efficient Houston offense, and he gets through his progressions well. If he sees that someone hasn't made that step, he'll get through two, three guys regularly in his progressions. Moving on to his weaknesses, I did mention that he kind of lacks deep ball arm strength, which does limit his upside as a passer. And he's prone to some poor decision-making sometimes. He can make that snap read. But then every now and again, you'll just see some sort of boneheaded decision, whether, you know, I said that he can fit into that window where, like, the window's closing, but he can get it in there. But sometimes the window isn't there and he throws it anyway. I've seen several times where you're running a a, a really simple running back screen um, or, you know, just a dump off to the running back. And it's it's been blown up before he's thrown the ball, but he's thrown it anyway. And it's just one of those things where if that goes wrong, it's going back the other way for six. And, you know, it's, it's really risky sometimes. And actually, he has a bit of a blind spot in not seeing uh, defensive backs and linebackers who aren't moving. It's, like, it's almost cat-like at times where, like, I'll, I'll throw my cat a treat. And if the treat's moving, it can see it. If you drop it on the floor, it'll be searching for it for ages. And there's just multiple instances of linebackers spying him. It just doesn't see them. And it's really infuriating. They've got to be moving to kind of come into the vision. Um, he's elusive, as I kind of was saying before, in terms of his quick first step. But sometimes he chooses the wrong direction to escape into and just runs into sacks. And kind of frustrating, it puts the ball at risk because he's kind of running into harm's way without having secured the ball, which I don't like. The Houston offense was a bit basic. Um, Tank Dell, I think, was the... It it is Tank Dell, isn't it? It was at Houston, yeah. Uh, Obviously a speedy guy, but barring that, there there was kind of slants and wide receiver screens and sometimes a quick out route, but there wasn't much going on in terms of like complex route trees or anything like that for the receivers, and that kind of hurt Tune's development as a passer, I think, because he wasn't asked to do a hell of a lot, really. Um... I did say that he walks into sacks and he's got fumble issues with the ball in hand. And for someone who likes to keep the ball as much as he does in hand, you've got to be able to secure the ball better than he does. And we've been saying it before about a different prospect and maybe it's an easy thing to fix, but you run an RPO based offense, you run zone reads, you run quarterback keepers, quarterback ball control, ball security has got to be at the top of the agenda and Tune just didn't have as much attention to details you'd like from a, especially from an older prospect. Um, The other thing is he struggles to throw with anticipation. So he can see that someone wins quickly, but that that is normally a separation-based thing. Whereas if it's someone becoming free later on in the route, he can't throw it early and that limits again how much he can do as a passer. So that deep ball and the anticipation throws aren't really there, which is just frustration when you can see it on tape and, and he can't see it. Um, the other thing is his O-line was quite good last year. Gave him plenty of time to throw in multiple instances of him having three, four, five seconds in the pocket. And to his credit, he's not trying to throw too quickly and he's letting things develop. But sometimes I'm thinking you're not 
having a sort of stressful time in the pocket like you're going to see in the NFL. And I do wonder that if he's put under a bit more pressure, whether he's actually going to take it particularly well. I haven't been able to tell whether it's something that he's actually particularly good at. Um, the final thing is just often it's Houston's offense rather than him. There's multiple instances of his receivers not winning and he just sits in the pocket wondering where to go and then just ends up running it when it's not really a good thing to do either, just as a sort of last resort thing. There's no window for him to do that either. And I mean, sometimes he just like him to throw it away when there's nothing there and he just doesn't really do that either. So projection for Clayton, he's got the tools in the short range. I think he could operate a golf style offense quite well. If you're not asking him to throw the ball deep, he's, accurate in that short to intermediate range you can throw with power the anticipation isn't quite there but as someone who's going to be a day three pick i kind of like him coming to the lions he's a likable guy he throws a pretty pass so i can see him coming in uh but i probably put a sixth round grade on him which is maybe a bit lower than the consensus out there i think he's more mocked around the late fourth or early fifth so a little bit lower on him than the consensus but he's someone i'd like to have here he's clearly a a reasonable leader. I mean, I did say before that, you know, the offense isn't fantastic and maybe he could have done something about that. But I I have come out liking him. He's clearly had a good year, but he's left something on the table for me in the last couple of seasons, despite being graded really, really well by PFF. Uh, boys, Clayton Tune, any thoughts? I mean, I... sorry, go on, Ryan. I like him. Statistically, one of the greatest AAC quarterbacks of all time. Pretty sure he's in top three. I know Holton Ehlers was second. I think Clayton Chew might be first in AAC passing yards for all time. Pretty sure he is. Completions and touchdowns is up there. I like him, but I've seen him now reach his ceiling. So Dana Holgan, it's in his head coach. He's from the Mike Leach Air Raid branch of coaches down the line. So he's commanded that kind of offense. He's a dink and dunker, like you say. Short to intermediate, fast balls, windows. He can march down the field. I don't think I won't trust. I don't think he could throw a fifty-yard ball like bear time in the NFL. I just don't think the arms got it. I say the biggest issue for me is that I'm always saying I've watched a lot of him. I say he hangs onto the ball far too long. I say he waits for things to develop sometimes, and they're just not developing, and he kind of doesn't know what to do. Like you know, if like he doesn't have the fight or flight, he doesn't think. Oh, do you know what? I'll just take off. Sometimes I just think, well, someone will get free, someone will get free, someone will get free. Shit, someone's getting in my face. And then, like say, the fumbles. If you're looking for a, a pure backup, I feel like a day three is one of the best options. That is purely, I think, his ceiling. I don't think he's going to surprise anyone. He's one of the best and most experienced QBs we're talking about today. Like he's had lots of success with the Cougars. He has led some powerful offences. He's scored a lot of points. He has racked up a lot of scores. I would have liked to see him leave Houston, if I'm honest. I feel like he achieved more than he could there. I feel like in the end, it was a bit comfortable. As you say, the O-line was really good. He got a bit complacent. I feel like I'd have liked to see him take a step up. He probably could have done as well. I feel like he could have gone to the Big Ten or the Big 12, sat in the ACC, AAC a little bit too long. But... As a as a day three guy, I think I'd probably take him first of your options. I'm a big fan of him. I'd say he's got everything to command the kind of Lions offense. You're not going to ask him to make the money shot because he's never had to really do that right now in his current team. So 
he's very well-rounded. He's got a decent arm. He's got a good fast ball, fits into a window. So he's got the things you can't teach. If you can make the jump to the next level, I suppose that's what we'll see next. I feel it'll, it'll depend entirely where he goes and what round as well. I couldn't take him before the fifth. That's a little bit rich for my blood. No, he's he's another one of those quarterbacks who's sort of garnered tons of stats in college, but I mean, there's just not really everything there to back it up with him. I mean, I know he said he's got the 40 touchdowns this year, but I mean, you can condense. There were several games. I mean, you can condense in a four-game period over half of his production for this season, especially that SMU game when Tanner Mordecai got like 10 touchdowns and he got eight you know, it it's kind of a little bit misleading. They started the season slow. I mean, in fairness, they're off their defense is absolutely trash, and he's had to try and bury them. You know, had to dig them out of hole all this time. But it's kind of just it just smacks a little of air raid, just like Bailey Zappe did last year. And he doesn't have the final third of the field ability. The the short and intermediate stuff is great, but like you said, there's an RPO offense that works in a certain way and, and the final third of the field, the deep balls, the accuracy, the arm strength, it's just it's just not there. And you kind of want that in your quarterback at the next level. I mean, we kind of lambast golf for not having maybe the greatest deep arm in the world in that final third. And, you know, you don't want to be drafting that again when there are other guys around in this draft who do. So, yeah, great college quarterback, but I just, I just don't see it translating unless he lands in a system which is incredibly friendly to the way he plays, but I don't feel like there's that many teams knocking around at the minute who would do that. So again, I think it's a day three prospect. And and as I kind of mentioned again with Lindsay Ellie, it doesn't really offer you anything to start with. I mean, it's not like he's going to give you someone on a scout team. It's not like he's going to give you immediate relief there. It's going to be several years of building him up with no real role for him rather than a clipboard holder. And, and then maybe something might happen with him. So it's not my cup of tea for this, but as a quarterback at college, he's been incredibly fun to watch. But me and Rans both said the same about him and Mordecai at the start of this season. This was the season for both of them to make a jump and prove something that we'd not seen before, to put themselves amongst the elite in this class, and and neither of them did. Any thoughts, Sash, or are you? Sounds like, as they said, typical air raid quarterback coming out of college. So uh, Zappi... Minshew, that kind of guy where they might get their stats in college, but yet at the next level, they're going to be nothing more than sort of like a high-end, low-volatility backup where they can run the short and intermediate stuff, maybe against man coverage, convert the sticks a bit. But other than that, you're not really going to get that much more out of them. Yeah. All right. We move on, Ash, to your second guy. We're going to look at... Aidan O'Connell, the Purdue quarterback, kind of similar in a way in the fact that he's very experienced, but in more of a pro-style offense than an RPO slash uh, air raid one. So uh, O'Connell, Raz, not applicable because we've only got height, weight, and hand size for him. He's done no no other drills as far as I can tell. So he's six foot three and uh, three tenths, and he's 213 pounds with nine and seven uh, and three quarter hands. Yeah, this past year, he's had a 68.2 offensive grade with 67.3 passing and 61.1 run. And I watched him against Penn State and Wisconsin, which were both below average uh, games for him. So 57.9 offensive grade against Penn State and then 59.9 offensive grade against Wisconsin. So 
I say strength. First one is experience. He's one of the most experienced quarterbacks in this class. And he's a he would be a great culture fit for us because he's a former walk-on who won the Spartan job and sort of took over and made it his own his past couple of years. Uh, he could run what I'm going to class as the offense really well, takes up what's schemed up for him with little problems, and he's tough. He can stay in the pocket and takes hits when it's there. The best thing about him is, um, in terms of his throwing is that his game is built on anticipatory throws. So his uh, 2.45 seconds time to throw is one of the cl- uh, quickest in the class per PFF. And he attacks underneath and the middle of the field really well. And he leads his uh, receivers well as well, always anticipates where they're going to be open, as I said, and gets the balls into windows when they're there. And he has a really good processor. He can use touch as well. So the ball is very catchable for a receiver. He's not really lasering in there when he doesn't have to. It's very easy for the receiver to catch. And he has a decent fake handoff for play action and in the running game he can move the stick on scramble sometimes and can generate reasonable push on QB sneaks but he's not exactly going to ever be like your sort of great athlete he's probably going to run like a 4, 9, 50 uh, 40 yard dash if you ask him to does Ty need sometimes look like he's running through treacle at times but it's nothing too major weakness age he'll be 25 in September so again, maybe he's hit his ceiling in terms of what he can be. You're not going to get much more development out of him. And for someone who has a weak arm, he tries too many YOLO balls deep down, uh, down the field. He tries to fit it into tight windows too often down there. And when he tries to try and fit it in there, it just ruins his spiral. His accuracy goes to absolute kaput. He might be trying to throw a receiver on the hash mark and it goes out of bounds to their right because he just doesn't have accuracy downfield. And he does have a tendency to stare down his receivers. So the first interception he threw against Wisconsin, he uh, stares down the re- uh, defender, uh, the receiver, and the defender, who is someone we've heard about last week, John Torchio, reads his eyes, jumps the ball, and it's a pick six. And his uh, throwing motion... It's very unconventional. He doesn't use his hips at all. It's very much like, you know, when you're sort of passing the ball around to your friends in the <clears> park <throat> on a, a nice summer's day, you're just using your arm, not really doing much, and it doesn't go that far. That's how he throws. It's very, very unconventional. And it, most teams probably won't like it. And he can't really get that much out of structure. He just takes what's there. And then if it, he can't see anything, he just throws the ball away. And... He doesn't. He didn't have the best O line in college, so pressure can force him into bad decisions. So his second interception against Wisconsin, there was a free rusher through the A gap. It forces him into a quick read, and the defender just jumps the ball and brings it down. And as I mentioned before, he won't hurt defenses with his legs. Maybe get convert the sticks to like a sort of third and five, but anything more than that probably is going to be an issue for him. So PFF confirm, uh, compares him to Trevor Simeon. But I think I use Case Keenum as my uh, comparison. He's good pro style QB who won't take too many risks if you sort of scheme up stuff. Doesn't have a top tier arm and has mere rushing upside, but it's dependable. If you need him to start a couple of games because your QB is injured and you're in a pro style, he'll be able to do it for you. But anything more than that, you're probably going to start losing games. So he's QB8 and the 160th overall prospect on our consensus board is around the mid. Uh, the middle of the fifth rounder, but he falls he falls in between our like, uh, fifth round at 152 and our first six at 183. That fifth 152 
might be a bit too rich for me, but if he falls to that 183 and we haven't taken a backup quarterback yet, I'd take the card in for him because with a slightly better O-line and then a few more be- uh, weapons than he's had at Purdue. So obviously this year he had uh, Payne Durham and he had Charlie Jones to receive, both of whom are good prospects in his class. He could be a defendable backup for us. Though, if you, as I said, if you're asking him to start more than like two games in a season, this sort of bad decision-making, especially deep, could lose you a game where you sort of, you need him to look after the ball. He just tries to go deep with JMO and it just gets picked and he loses you a game. So for us, for us at least, dependable backup, probably that's more he's ever going to be, just sort of QB2 career guy who just goes around it, like the team's just earning a bit of money. Sort of like Chase Daniel. Uh, that's about it. And thoughts on thoughts on Aiden O'Connell? Oh, anyone who listens to the college pod knows I love AOC. He's, he's one of my favourite quarterbacks. He has been for the last few years. Just that offence that Purdue have ran is just so pretty on its day. And he... He is a really good quarterback. I think I listed him as the second best in the Big Ten at the start of this season. I think there was only really CJ who was above him. Still of that opinion, it's CJ Stroud, then it's Aiden O'Connell when it comes to your quarterback rankings in the Big Ten, just because he has just such great natural ability. Just want to hit, he can sort of, again, hit the three levels of the field. You know, he's a big, explosive playmaker. And you can see just how good he is by all the talent he sort of brings up around him. So first he had David Bell, who was, you know, had some terrific times there at Purdue, turned into one of the best receivers in the class last year, um, got harshly done because of, of certain things, I believe. But he'll be a good he'll be a good guy in the NFL. And then you sort of had Charlie Jones who came in this season. We were a bit, mm, is is he kind of going to be the same? You know, losing David Bell is a big thing. And, and they just formed a connection like that. And Charlie Jones suddenly became one of the hottest commodities at wide receiver in college football, not in terms of the draft, but in terms of just outright who's doing the best. He had a stunning start to the season and had a great year all throughout. So that's what good quarterbacks do. They just keep elevating new wide receivers to a high level who maybe who maybe shouldn't because people were trash talking Bell. People were trash talking Jones said they're not the best in the world. Well, the college production will tell you otherwise. And, you know, I just... I hope he gets an opportunity at the next level. I I do agree. Maybe he's not going to be a starter going up as much as I like him and I need to take the blinkers off a little bit. But I think he's certainly done enough to earn a shot at being able to. And and if you're looking for a guy who, at the very minimum, you can develop into a really solid backup in, again, maybe sort of that pro-style theme I think he's he's one of the guys who should be at the top of your list. I mean, you know, take the age aside. He's got the arm. He's got the instincts. He's got the skill. He's got great touch on his throws as well. So I, I I genuinely do think that he'll make a good backup in this league. And if you need him to come in and, and win you a game or see one out, I think he's capable of that as well. So, um, yeah, I, I really like him. Um, not for us. Not, not not personally for as much as I would like to see him here, but not for us. I I I would prefer to go in a different direction. But um no, I, I really like him as a quarterback. It depends on what direction the Lions want to go in at backup quarterback, because if they want someone to operate the golf offense, there's no one better to come in as a backup. If they want someone who's going to provide them with practice upside to provide something a bit different, who perhaps could complement golf on the field potentially, then He's clearly not the guy. So, 
you know, pick your poison, really. I kind of feel like he's going to be high on the Lions' agenda. I think that they're going to want someone to run the Goff offense because that's what it's built for right now. I, As much as I would love to see a dual-threat guy come in and be the developmental guy, I think they're going to prioritize right here, right now, and he, for me, is that guy. He's, for me, probably quite near his ceiling. I don't see him getting a huge amount better than he is, but he's he's fine right now. Like, yeah, there's clearly limitations with him, but he can run the golf offense. I, I definitely believe that. So I think he's a, he's someone that there's a reasonably good likelihood he ends up here. Ryan, any, any more thoughts? You said. <laughs> uh, Aiden, yeah. Uh, I'd say when I look at his time in college, he's probably the one of the guys that we're talking about that's come closest to causing big upset. I said Purdue have hung with Ohio State a few times. Uh, some good games in Michigan and Wisconsin, the bigger Big Ten sides. So he's fared well in the more well, tougher scenarios and the bigger the competition. He's faced some of the better competition we're talking about. He's a very good pocket pass, like I say. He can make all the throws. He's got good touch. Like I say, he's worked with some good receivers. Like I say, this year, last year, TJ Sheffield, like I say, Bell, Jones, uh, Durham Payne. He's going to get drafted. Likes his tight ends. Like I say, they, they operate that system really well. So he he has his guys. He's safe. He's comfortable. Uh, he can do everything that's quiet. Like I say, he's not a runner. He's never going to be. That's just not his style. But he knows what he's good at. And who he could he could be a Nick Mullins. He could be a Case Keenum, like a Taylor Heineke. Like I say, he could be a high-level backup that could come in and win four games if Goff hurts his ankle and then he just goes back to the bench. Like I say, that, that's the kind of guy he'll be. There's some kind of guys that you can draft as a backup and you think they could win a game if they're thrown in in the second half? Can they defend a 10-point lead? Is Aiden one of those guys? Probably, yeah. Would Malik do that? No, I won't trust him. I won't trust half the guys spoken about, but I would, I'd I'd expect that he would be someone that could come in under pressure and just finish off a job if needed be. And that's probably the highest praise that I can give to back up. He's a, probably a mixture of day two, day three. It's a very varied gap of where he's going to be taken. Some people really do like him. They might stretch to a fourth rounder, maybe. I say for me, I don't know another fifth, sixth. Depend depends on if if they really want to spend a commodity on a backup. But for short term investment or short term return, maybe one of the quicker ones if you make an investment in him. All right, let's get moving. And Ant, you're next up for your second guy. Um, oh, right, so next up, just bear with me a minute. So, yeah, I'm in the realm of the FCS again with my second one. I have picked Jalen Fowler, who is the quarterback from the North Carolina A&T Aggies. Of course, Brad Holmes's alma mater. He is 23 years old. It may seem like a really random one, but I, I did this because I know the Lions have shown bona fide interest in him quite so much. So it's like, well, I'll go and have a look at this guy, see what he's a little bit like, cover all bases, because I'm still of the opinion that they're going to go day three or undrafted free agent this year. So I think looking at these guys will um, pay off 
in the long run. So yeah, Jalen Fowler, North Carolina A&T. He is 6'3". He is 235 pounds. So unlike Lindsey Scott Jr., the frame, the desired height, everything is there for him. Now, me and Ryan were chatting about him a few weeks ago on the College Pod when we did our HBCU episode. Uh, Dave, our good friend from Panthers Nation podcast, is a North Carolina A&T alum. So he got to tell us a little bit about him there so you can hear a little bit about him on that show as well, if you want. And I think the the conclusion we came up to in regards to him, because Dave didn't do a very good sell job to start with, was massive untapped potential because of scheme, quote Dave from PNP and myself. And having watched him, I think that is absolutely the case here. So his college stats, um, overall, he's been going three years, 3,737 passing yards, 27 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 397 rushing yards, and one touchdown on the ground. He is classified as a dual threat quarterback. And he is, although it's not really been the case in college for him. Now, on the surface, very little stands out in terms of things to like about him. I'm just going to be completely and utterly honest with you all here. So he has struggled to hold down a starting job at a where he's been for the last three years. He sort of lost the job towards the end of last season, had a few niggling injuries, and he actually lost out in camp this past season to a red shirt freshman of all players um, who took his job from him. And it took until game four of the season when the Aggies had to use four quarterbacks in a game because of injuries and various problems before he was able to get that job back. So obviously not the best of starts for the season there. But after that, the rest of the season, the starting job was his um, as a runner like Lindsay Scott Jr., he has a fumbling problem, but this is a really big problem. And how big, you ask? He's fumbled the ball 11 times on 32 carries this season. So one in every three carries, he fumbles the ball. That is, um, yeah, um, which may go some way to explaining why he has not been given so many carries by the team this season. Although the starting running backs have been very effective for them and there has been little need to use the quarterback, but it does handicap his ability to show his dual threat when he's fumbling it all the damn time. And as a passer, the career completion rating is a shade below 59%, which isn't great. It comes with a two-to-one touchdown ratio, or slightly worse than that, actually, which is nothing to shout home about. And the turnover-worthy play rate is 5%, which is also very poor. It would have I think put him in like the low twenties out of 32 in the NFL this year. So he struggled to establish himself as a starter. He has a huge problem with the run game, which is meant to be part of his dual threat ability, namely the fumbling and nearly all aspects of the passing game need polish. So why should we care? Now the sell job I did from Lindsay, this all sounds really bad now, but A lot of this, and Dave mentioned it as well, a lot of it lies in the system he has grown up with. So for those who don't know, the HBCU, North Carolina A&T, they are traditionally a run-heavy, run-first offense where quarterback development is not really a high priority. In Dave's words, they're running back you and offensive tackle you. Nothing really to do with quarterbacks. And in some part, explains the low productivity numbers in college because... He is not called upon to do as much quarterback work as a lot of other guys in systems where they're not so run heavy. And also you have the added problem where the offensive line are much better versed in run blocking than pass protection, which makes his job a lot harder because um, 
he's got to run around all over the place because he's under pressure all the time because his linemen are not as good at pass blocking as they are running the football. And that will sort of hide away his ability that may lie within, as he's not he's not used anywhere near the degree he should be, to able to show significant development. So now all the bad stuff is out of the way. Now all the explanation has been done. What does he have? So I've had to go and watch the tape for this. I've watched various games. I've watched when they played Gardner-Webb. I've watched when they played, who was the other ones early in the season? They played North Carolina Central as well. So one of the repercussions of being under pressure so much all the time is he does have sneaky good awareness when he is in the pocket to feel pressure, and he has the escape ability. He's very athletic to avoid the press, extend plays, or scramble, depending on the situation. And as I say, this comes in part from being under pressure a lot of the time because of the offensive line's inability to block for him. So he's almost had to adapt to survive in this respect. So the awareness is actually really good with him. And sort of segueing into this decision-making, it's a very underrated part of his game, the actual decision-making itself. It's surprisingly good how many correct decisions he actually makes which form part of the appeal about him. The trouble is the decisions are not always followed with effective execution, which kind of affects the fact that he is making the right calls. He's just not executing them in the right way, whether it be the pass, you know, whatever he's doing. It just isn't there and it just doesn't make a lot of good tape inconsistency. So there's a problem there. Uh, The passing itself, yes, the completion rating, very worrying at 59%, but... The mechanics are not actually that bad. The way he throws, the ability he has, he's got a big arm and can throw down the field quite far. And the short and intermediary stuff can be good. When he's on song, he can actually throw a really good pass. He's got touch on his throws. He throws a beautiful spiral ball, which I actually can't help but admire. It's just one of those things that you'll always appreciate. But you get really good spiral, good zip on the ball. He can fire it down the field rapidly if he wants to. So you've kind of got the shells inside the shell. You've got all the makings to make a good quarterback in there. And and this is where it comes to with him. It's not his college tape that's going to endear him to an NFL team. You've got to strip everything back and see what attributes he has that you can develop at the next level to work out what the potential ceiling may be. So as a running quarterback with dual threat ability, he is competent in that regard. When you do actually see him running the ball, when he does it successfully, he's able to do so. You've just got to work incredibly hard on the ball security. That ball is just nowhere near where is it where it could be. But it's a coachable trait. We've seen with Jared Goff, we've eliminated his fumble ability in that. Now, it's the same thing, but it is a coachable trait that you can work out of him. And if you sort out that ball security issue then the running part of his game is going to come on very quick. So you can sort that side out. As a passer, again, as I've said, he has the tools. You've seen fleeting glimpses of most things you would like to see. So as I say, the cannon on the arm, the touch on the ball, the level, all three levels of passing, short, intermediate, long. You can see all this. He does have it in his arsenal, but he doesn't show it often. So you need to help work on the consistency there. He has the instinct, as I've said, in the pocket. He's actually really good in the pocket under pressure. And he has the smarts. He makes a lot of the correct decisions. He's just not effectively executing them. And again, this is all coachable stuff. So it all sounds bad. But when you see what he does have and what you can develop on there, and bearing in mind, you're going to be getting him an undrafted free agency. You're not going to be spending a draft pick on him you're going to get him in undrafted free agency. So you'll get him for nothing. 
and you're going to be able to stash him on your squad and you're going to be able to build him up over time. He's going to need a hell of a lot of refinement and development to get all these areas up to even a background, a, a backup at NFL standard. So you're investing significant time into him, should he be the guy you want to pick. But that's the same with most day three undrafted free agent guys. A lot of them are going to take years to develop here. So whilst on the surface, it just appears like an absolute lost cause with him having dive down into it. I can see why they might like him. A guy who's going to take a few years to develop. There's no pressure to get him in the team or anything like that. And just maybe if you can do it right with him, you're going to get a solid serviceable backup over there in the future. And I believe that he could be. So yeah, that's everything in terms of um, Jalen Fowler there from North Carolina A&T. Not the guy you're turning as flashy right away. Not like Lindsey Scott or in the long run, I can see why the Lions are looking at him and he might come here as an undrafted free agent. Any thoughts, boys, on Jalen Fowler? Yeah, I didn't think there would be. Let's move swiftly on. Uh, I'm going to change the order up just because Ryan has one more guy and I've got two. So I'm going to kick us off now with Stanford quarterback Tanner McKee. 22 years old. True junior, so coming out quite early uh, compared to some of the guys that we're looking at. Six foot six and two tenths and every inch of it, 231 pounds. He hasn't run any of the 40-yard, 10-yard split type things, but he's estimated to be a 4.75 guy. His short shuttle was 4.41, so not exactly setting the world alight. And out of high school, he was a three-star recruit. Because he's a true junior, he's not played in many games, only 23 in his college career. So if you can have a knock on Anthony Richardson for only playing 13, well, Tanner's, you know, he's played almost double, but he's still not very many. Uh, 473 of 748 is 63.2%. 5,336 yards, 28 touchdowns, 15 interceptions in his career. This most recent season, uh, much of the same, really. 12 games, 62%. 2,947 yards, 13 touchdowns, eight interceptions. PFF grade this year, 75.4. So reasonable year, less than a two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio is not exactly fantastic, but there we go. Um, watched a couple of games of his uh, versus USC and at Oregon, both in 2022. Average games, both of them, 64.2 and 61.2. Strengths for Tanner... He just jumps off the page, like physically gifted. He just is imposing to even look at, to be quite honest. He's that prototypical quarterback that if you look at him, that's how you'd build him to to begin with, at least in terms of height and weight. Uh, one of the more underrated things I quite like about him, just to kick us off, is his sidesteps in the pocket, allowing him time to throw, as I kind of alluded to. He's not exactly the fastest guy in the world, but he's actually quite adept at just taking a step to the left or right to buy himself another half second to deliver a strike. Um, it's going to be the difference between him being able to do some really, really good things in the pros and not. So the fact that he's doing that at a good level already is very nice. Really nice touch on his throwing motion, especially when short. He's going to give his guys a lot of opportunities to catch a lot of balls in the short to intermediate range. Um, potentially the nicest thrower in that range in the class, I I think. Like, I, I don't want to go too high on him in that short range, but 
it's it's really really nice to look at uh good accuracy in terms of hitting guys in stride so when we look at quarterbacks and we say oh they're completing 62 percent of their passes or 70 percent of their passes or whatever but it's like okay but if they're just about catchable but they're behind him you're killing momentum yeah you might get some catches but they're not accurate they're just being caught tanner puts it exactly where he needs to and it means that his guys end up getting a lot of yak. And he's a big part of that. Like the timing is just very, very nice. Um, when given the opportunity to throw timing deep, he hits it, but only when it's a bullet throw. When he tries to throw that sort of deep arcing throw, he loses a lot of his accuracy. But if he's got that sort of room to just rifle it deep, he can do that. So maybe there's just a little bit of development required when it comes to doing the timing with the loopy throw deep because he can do it short. So I don't really understand why he can't do it when it requires a little bit more oomph, especially when he can do it when it's a fastball. Um, gets through his progressions very nicely. You see him go from one to two to three with with ease. Like that's not a problem for him. Um, at Stanford, and I know that I'll have some blowback for this because there's a couple of receivers who've done quite well. But in the games that I saw on tape, his wide receivers did not get much separation. So it relied on him having really good timing to actually get some production because his guys were just being absolutely blanketed. Like receivers were not giving him any help. So he was having to do a lot of the work himself. That's not to say he's a playmaker because I don't think he is, but it relied on him being accurate. And for the most part, he did a good job in that regard. He's an aggressive player too. When it comes to going for one-on-ones on the outside, which we know that Jared Goff cannot do, he's going to take that shot more often than not. And he will put it in a place where only his receiver can go and get it. That's not to say that his receiver will go and get it because sometimes he's not that accurate when he's doing that sort of throw. But at least he's not having many turnovers when he's going for that ball as well. He's a danger in the sneak game. And at six foot six, you'd hope that he would be. But third and one, fourth and half a yard, you know, or inches or whatever, he's going to get it nine times out of 10. He's an absolute weapon in that regard. And I mean, he's a true junior. He's 22 years old, but there's massive room for growth here. There's that sort of frame that you're looking at. He can, he's got the power to throw deep, but you know, like I was saying, he just needs to develop a bit there, but the short game is really impressive. And I, I'm quite bullish on his upside, potentially. He's just not as manoeuvrable as you'd like. But you can still use his physicality to get that one yard when you need it. So maybe that's not a massive problem. Weaknesses? I watched him after I saw Will Levis. And when you have a look at Will Levis and what he can do in the rushing game at six foot two and a half, or sorry, six foot three and a half, you then watch Tanner McKee at six six, and you think, well, if this guy just does that, he's going to be Will Levis in the rush game plus 20%. But he's not. He doesn't use the rushing game as a weapon as much as you'd like. He's a little slower. And so maybe that's not unexpected. But he could do a bit of zone read and go crashing down as opposed to trying to go through his line. Like, he could run over some guys. And, you know, I think he put the fear of God in him with how big he is. But he just doesn't use it as a weapon, and he should. Like I said before, he's not a big playmaker. He's not making things happening happen by himself. He's not working out of structure. So you need him behind a good O-line, um, which is not ideal. If you're drafting someone 
nearer the top of the draft. Ideally, you don't want to have to commit to paying your O-line heavy in order to make him work, and you're going to have to do that with Tanner. Uh, he doesn't feel pressure particularly well, especially from his blind side. His internal clock doesn't run, and so because he doesn't have the short speed to escape, he gets hit a lot when he's not looking all the way around the field. Now, he gets through his progressions, but he's zeroed in on what he's doing, and he's not actually thinking, oh, I've been holding the ball two and a half seconds, and maybe I need to get rid of this now. And so there's multiple examples on take of taking unnecessary sacks when he could just be throwing the ball over the head of a receiver and getting rid. Um, but I think that's coachable. I don't think that that's going to be something that you you is going to plague him altogether. And the offense, I mean, it wasn't exactly pro-ready style offense. It's RPO heavy. Um, and for him not being much of a rushing threat, it's kind of weird that it's operating in that fashion. I know it's just it's a traditional college offense almost at the moment. Um, I don't think that offense exists, particularly in the NFL, especially with someone of his sort of prototypical height and weight. Like, you don't want him running that offense. And so there's going to be a bit of a learning curve in the NFL. But again, he's young and he's got time to develop. So my projection for him is probably an early third round pick. That means I'm a bit lower on him than the consensus where he's kind of going in the late 50s and early 60s, which is, you know, some would say pretty high, but he's kind of going in that late second round uh, stage. He's got upside. He's already got some good traits. I can definitely see someone investing a fairly high pick in him. Comp for him might seem slightly unfair. I've got Ryan Tannehill as someone that I kind of see in him a little bit. Now, Tannehill, obviously not quite as tall, but Tannehill is an efficient short passer who can operate an offense well. And I mean, that's just what I see in Tanner. Fairly immobile. Tannehill has a bit more to him with his legs, but... I think that Tanner could have more to him with his legs if he decided he was going to engage it. So a bit of coaching, someone to kind of take him under his wing and and help him out, maybe develop him as a passer and as a runner. I think you could have a really, really good guy who, you know, has QB1 upside. It might take him a little while. I don't think it's going to happen in the first two years. But at the same time, I think if he came in in relief, he could win a game or two just because he's got time that I think he's saying he can develop. That's only because he's got a ceiling higher than he is. I mean, if you look at someone who I kind of think could be quite similar in Aiden O'Connell, I think that Tanner's ceiling is much higher than that. And so when you look at the two prospects, it's like, okay, well, Aiden doesn't have a lot more to learn because the ceiling isn't there. But for Tanner, it is. So the fact that I'm saying it's going to take a couple of years for him, don't take that as a knock on his ability to come in in relief right now. I think that there's, there's something there, but we just haven't seen it all yet. Boys, thoughts on Tanner McKee? Complete fraud. I, I, I will just, I would just say that about him, and, and this is coming from a guy. You know, I was a massive Davis Mills fan. This is not a knock on Stanford. This is not a knock on the way they play. I just think he's been completely overrated to the point where it, it wasn't even funny. I mean, you saw at the start of the year he was getting round one looks, round one grades. That soon died off. Um, because everybody kind of saw what he was, just just not an elite guy there really in any way. He's he's been he's been all right there. He's got some good receivers at Stanford, but that team has been really bad. And Pac-12 has got a lot of really bad teams in there that they've not been able to beat. He's not been able to help get them over the line against many of them. They lost the coach this year. It's 
I just I just don't see the hype there with him. I mean, I, I don't see the develop. I mean, there might be developmental upside in there. There could well be, and I think that's what a lot of his appeal is based on about what he could be. But he didn't really show it me in college. He didn't really show me what I wanted to see. You know, for a guy who gets so much hype with everything and how it goes on, so. I just think he's 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 a complete fraud going into this, and I'm not I'm I'm not holding up hopes he does much at the next level, and I don't want us to go near him with a, a hundred foot barge pole. It's just just my thing there, and it's a shame because you know I thought there was a day and age when he could be pretty good, and again I like my Stanford QBs, but he just never he never took the steps forward I needed to see. For me, he's the most polarizing QB in the class. I can't show a cut in Stanford Cardinals. They're fucking horrible. Since Kevin Hogan left, they're dog shit. And they've just produced trash football. And their fans are even sick of it. Like they're in the Pac 12, they're bad. And the Pac 12 is is ass. So and I just look at him and I just think I just think Paxton Lynch. Like he was the prototypical QB that went too high and then turned out to be terrible. He was great over short range and that. Like, he's got the pro. But the problem is, I think he's he's not ready. He had to stay in college, but he wouldn't have gained anything because Stanford is so bad. He should have hit the portal. I think he should have spent another year in college. I think he'd have got a good team as well. I think he's declared too early. If the Lions used a second round pick on him, I'd be absolutely furious because we could get a start there that I don't think he'll ever be. If the if they go with the second, third round pick and they really trust in him, I'll trust Brad. I say I am not enamored of him. I say he's he gets sacked. He has some of the same issues with golf when golf were running out of pressure, not throwing the ball away. We kind of fixed that this year. So maybe if we fix Jared Goff, maybe we can fix Tanner McKee. So maybe he can be a future potential QB backup. I say I a lot of things I don't like. But I can also see why people kind of enamoured with some of the traits. I, I think he will go a lot higher than people think he will. A lot higher than I take him. I think that's just a given because of just just what he is and what he can offer. But yeah, I wish him all the best. But yeah, everything I've seen just scares me off him. If he if he becomes a starter this year and does do a Davis Mills, I'll gladly eat my words. It sounds to me like he's going to probably have the Kellen Mond career path, unfortunately, because that's the guy that it sounds like to me. guy who showed stuff in college, but should have stayed for a year, is taken a bit too high in the second to third round, and then is unfortunately just stuck in a in a bad place for development. So that's what happened with Mond. He obviously was stuck behind Cousins, and then you have Zimmer come out a year after they take him, saying, oh, yeah, he's absolute shite. That's why I'm scared. If he can go to somewhere like Seattle, maybe if they don't take a quarterback early and he's maybe taking the third there to sort of be groomed behind Gino to maybe take over in the future there, that could work. I could see him working out there because Carroll's had history in the past of of working well with QBs. He won't have the pressure to come in too early because Gino's quite a good starter. He could work out there, but if he's, it has to be the right place. He's one of those... But yeah, it really depends on his place where he turns out he's going to crash out and be an XFL quarterback in two years, or if he could be a sort of mid-tier QB1 upside. Honestly, it's about the team. And yeah, for me, I, again, third, late third round, 
if we don't take someone, maybe. But maybe I'd, if at that range, I'd want someone with a bit more upside who can maybe bring a bit more either with his legs or with his arm. I do agree with Ryan. He should have stayed. And the thing is, if he goes to a pro-ready system and proves that he can do it there, like you're talking about a mid to higher, you know, round one prospect. Like he's got the tools. If he went and proved it, he could be doing a lot better than he is. As it is, he's like you said, he's going to get overdrafted. He's going to underwhelm and it's going to be tough for him. Like his absolute ceiling, like if he hits, it could be like, I don't know, Rufflesburger or something, but like there's like a less than 1% chance he hits it. There's big bust potential here. There really is. So yeah, anyway. That's going to do it for part one of our show. We've overrun by a long way here, so I'm going to split this one into two parts. But my thanks to Anne, Ash and Ryan for their contributions so far. You can follow us on Royal The Lions UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And the group for worldwide fans on Facebook is Detroit Lions Fans UK One Pride Worldwide. The website, rotluk.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate us five stars on your podcast provider. Tune in for part two of this episode tomorrow about course of acts in the 2023 NFL draft. My name is Matthew Turner and we'll see you then. Let's go Lions 1 Pride. Mm-hmm.